Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. Did you get any sleep last night? Kaboom, baby. It was awesome, man. We're so glad you're here with us. Glad all of you who are watching online. We appreciate you uh, joining us as well. Uh, Ever since I was a a kid, I have loved road trips. And I just, I love to get in the car and ride literally for hours and hours and look at the scenery. And I especially love to do that in the West. Uh, A few years ago, we did a road trip. Uh, We went up through Nebraska, uh, across uh, South Dakota to Mount Rushmore, and then across Wyoming and into Idaho, and then down through uh, Utah and all the way into New Mexico. And I was finally tired of driving, and we flew home from Albuquerque. (laughs) But I I loved it. And uh, we had actually done a side trip uh, to Birmingham, Alabama and back right before we started that trip. We were in 15 states in 14 days. And uh, it was just absolutely awesome. And and what I love uh, about a road trip is when you come up over a hill, and the landscape just stretches out in front of you in what I, I, what I call a Buena Vista. It's just a gorgeous view uh, of, uh, for miles and miles and miles. And I love what happens. Even here in Missouri and Kansas, when, when you come up over the crest of a high hill and you just see this gorgeous view and everybody in the car goes, whoa, because just, it just takes your breath away. That's the kind of sermon I've got for you today, okay? You know, we're moving into this series on learning to think uh, like Jesus, and, and today I just want to give you a big panoramic view. i got 12 points for you today, 12 points. That's a lot of points. And so to compensate for it, next week the sermon will be pointless, okay? So. <laughs> I love that one every time I use it. But... What, what I want us to do today is to get up out of the weeds, get up out of the, the, the dark valleys, the dank swamps of 2020, and, and get up on a hilltop, get up on a mountaintop, and, and experience the awesome view of what it means to have the mind of Christ, what it means to learn to think like Jesus. So on your notes, on the app, here we go. Uh, in the Old Testament, the, the prophet Jeremiah asked the question. He said, Who understands the mind of the Lord? Who understands the mind of the Lord? And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul answers uh, that question. He says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, he says, We can understand these things because we have the mind of Christ. Who can understand the things of the Lord? We can because we have the mind of Christ. Now, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? It means that you learn to think like Jesus. It means you have the same attitudes, the same thoughts, the same reactions as Jesus has. In fact, this is God's goal for, for your life, for my life. Let, let's read uh, Philippians uh, 2, 5 together here. Uh, all together. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. You must think and act 
like Christ Jesus. Now, what does it look like when you think and act like Christ Jesus? Well, I'm going to give you ten characteristics today of a person who thinks like Christ. And, and we're going to move through them rapidly today. We'll get into the weeds of this in the coming weeks on this series. But uh, th this is a whoa moment, okay? So number one, uh, when I have the mind of Christ, I know exactly who I am. If I have the mind of Christ, I'm not confused about my identity. There's a, a lot of identity confusion out there today. But Jesus had no doubt about his identity. No fuzzy thinking about his identity. He knew exactly who he was. And he told us over and over and over. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. Mark 14, I am the Son of God. And just a few times where Jesus just defines his identity because he had no doubt about who he was. And God wants you to know your true identity as well. Now, why is this important? Because if you don't know who God made you to be, then other people will decide for you. Other people will try and force you into their mold, and you will be manipulated by the expectations of others. You won't really know who you are. But if I have the mind of Christ, I'll know exactly who Jesus Christ created me to be. Number two, when I learn to think like Jesus, I not only know who I am, but I know God's purpose for my life. John 8, 14, Jesus says, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. Do you know where you came from? Do you know where you're going? You know, Jesus settled his purpose very early in life. At the age of 12, he's teaching the elders in the temple. Uh, Mary and Joseph, his parents come in, they're like, what are you doing? And he says, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? He knew his purpose at the age of 12. Parents, children can understand this at a lot earlier age than we often think. And are you helping your kids discover God's purpose for their life, even at an early age? And as Jesus matured and his ministry expanded, he became more and more specific uh, about the purposes for his life. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. Not only knows who he is, he knows his purpose. Right up to Christ's death on the cross, his purpose was clear. John 12.27, night before he was executed, Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No! It is for this purpose that I have come to this hour. He knew who he was, and he knew his purpose. And he wants you to know who you are, and he wants you to know your purpose as well. And you get that when you get the mind of Christ. That's why we're doing this series. Okay? Number three, when I have the mind of Christ, I'm always aware that God is with me. John 16, 32. Jesus says, I'm not alone because the Father is always with me. Jesus lived his life in the presence of God. He stayed connected to God, no matter what was going on around him, no matter how busy he was. And when you have the mind of Christ, you'll be able to say like Christ, 
I'm not alone because I know the Father is always with me. You know, there's, a, there's an epidemic of loneliness in our culture today. It's heightened by this pandemic. And the greatest antidote to loneliness is the mind of Christ. Because you're aware that you're never alone. God is always with you. Now, how can you stay aware of God's presence? Well, the answer is through prayer. Prayer. Luke 5, 16. Jesus often slipped away to be alone so he could pray. And notice the word often. This wasn't an occasional occurrence. This is a habit. And that's why he was always aware of God's presence. So how often do you slip away during the day to pray? You know, would your day go better if you had those moments where you reconnected, you reflected, you, you got renewed, recharged, you, the God recast His vision for your day and what you were doing. You know, you get more done here, there, and everywhere if you pray, if you include prayer. So Christ knew who He was. He knew what His purpose was. He's always aware of God's presence. You get the mind of Christ, you'll have those things too. Number four, when I have the mind of Christ, I let God help me choose my words. Je Jesus didn't speak without thinking. He asked God to help him say the right words in the right way. John 12, 49, I have not spoken on my own. Instead, the Father who sent me tells me what I should say and how I should say it. You know, it's not just, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. I mean, would you have happier relationships? Would you have less conflict in your life if you let God tell you what to say and how to say it? If your mouth gets you in trouble, the antidote is to learn to think like Jesus, to have the mind of Christ. Because when you learn to think like Jesus, you'll talk like Jesus. You'll know what to say, how to say it. Number five, when I have the mind of Christ, I, I don't worry about pleasing everyone. Uh, are you worried about what other people will think? Uh, are you a people pleaser? Well, if you have the mind of Christ, you don't worry about pleasing everybody. Instead, like Jesus, you will focus on pleasing God. Jesus was never manipulated by the response of the crowd. He, 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 wasn't trying, he didn't seek the approval or, or the disapproval of other people. He just lived his life for an audience of one. And when you have the mind of Christ, you'll live for an audience of one. John 5.30, Jesus said, I only try to please the one who sent me. And wouldn't that simplify your life? You know, if you're trying to please everybody, about the time you get group A happy... Group B is displeased. I mean, you just can't please everybody. And Jesus says, I'm not even trying to do that. I'm just trying to please the one who sent me. Matthew 3.17, God says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Because the truth is, you can't please everybody. Jesus couldn't please everybody. God can't please everybody. Right now, somebody's praying for it to be sunny today. Right now, somebody's praying for it to rain. And believe it or not, right now, somebody is praying for it to snow. Okay? That's just the way it goes. You can't please everybody. 
And so you've got to decide, who am I going to live my life for? You know, whose approval are you depending on for your happiness? You know, what if your answer to that question was God and God alone? Now, please, don't misunderstand me. People get confused about this. That doesn't mean that you have to make everyone else mad at you. Okay? Sometimes Christians think that, you know, if I'm going to make God happy, it means everybody else has got to be mad at me. No, it just means you make God happy first. It just means you make God the happiest. You seek to please Him. Number six, if I'm learning to think like Jesus, if I've got the mind of Christ, then I depend on God's power instead of my own. You know, um, most of the verses today are just quotes from Jesus. It's, it's just words coming from our Savior Himself. In John 5, 19, Jesus says, I assure you that the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing. Jesus says, I, I can't do anything on my own. I, I, I can't do this by myself. Now, if Christ is dependent on God the Father's power, what about us? How do you know if you're trying to live life in your own power? You're tired all the time. You're tired all the time because human energy runs out. Human power runs out. And so when you've got the mind of Christ, you realize, I can't do that. I've got to depend on God's power. Number seven, if I have the mind of Christ, I forgive my enemies and those who hurt me. Jesus is hanging on the cross in agony and pain. His lifeblood is flowing out of him. The people who have crucified him are mocking him. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's the mind of Christ. That's what it means to think like Jesus. You are willing to forgive the people who are hurting you, have hurt you the most. Who's hurt you the most? What hurt are you holding on to? When you hold on to hurt, you're hurting yourself. It's like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other person. It, it, it just makes no sense. Unforgiveness is irrational. That's why when you have the mind of Christ, you have a forgiving spirit. Because you're thinking the way God thinks, and God is forgiving. Jesus doesn't stop just with forgiveness. He goes farther in Matthew 5, 44. He says, look, look at the verbs in this verse. He says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Love, bless, do good, and pray. Do that to your enemies, to those who hate you, to those who persecute you, to those who speak evil against you. Why would I do that? Because you have the mind of Christ. Because thinking like Jesus is the most forgiving, the most healthy, the happiest way to live. Number eight. When I have the mind of Christ, I'm willing to sacrifice for others. John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. I sacrifice myself for the benefit of other people. 
A lot, a lot of people sacrifice for themselves. But if you're going to be like Christ, you've got to be willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. Mark 10, 45, he says, I came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. To serve and to give. Serve, give. But those two words are the heartbeat of Christianity. I serve and I give. Serve and I give. Jesus said, it is only in giving your life away that you'll ever really know what it means to fully live. On your notes there, just off to the side, write down, serve day. Serve day. It's a great opportunity. Now, you probably know the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world that he gave. That's John 3.16. But do you know 1 John 3.16? 1 John is a little book near the end of the New Testament written by the same John who wrote John 3.16. And in 1 John 3.16, John 3.16 says God loved and he gave. 1 John 3.16 talks about us and our response. It says this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. That's a much deeper understanding of what it means to follow Christ. That's a deeper understanding of what it means to be part of the church, the body of Christ, what it means to be a believer. God loved and he gave. We love and we give, we serve. Ninth characteristic, learning to think like Jesus. I want to do God's will, not mine. In John 6, 38, Jesus says, I came to do what God wants me to do, not to do what I want to do. I mean, that is a a radical countercultural statement. I mean, almost nobody says today that I'm alive to do what God wants me to do, not what I want to do. You know, today uh, we say, I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, where I want to do it, and with whomever I want to do it. You know, nobody says, "I, I came to give my life away. I came to serve and to give. I came to do what God wants me to do. You know, I got to do what's best for me. But when you have the mind of Christ, it changes everything. John 14, 31, Jesus says, I want the world to know that I love the Father. You want the world to know that you love God? That is why I do everything exactly as the Father tells me to do. Jesus says, I obey God precisely because I love him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because obedience is is an evidence of love. Now, it's easy to do what God tells you to do when it's fun or pleasurable. But what about when God asks you to do something painful or difficult? What about when God asks you to suffer? Now, we know that the, the, the Bible's clear. God did not spare his own son from pain and suffering. He let Jesus go to the cross. If God didn't spare his own son from pain and suffering, why would I assume that God would spare me from pain and suffering? 
The truth is, folks, pain and suffering is part of the plan. It's part of the plan. And to think like Jesus means that I want to do God's will, even when it's painful, difficult, even when it costs me something. That's what it means to have the mind of Christ. And the supreme example of doing what God asked me to do, e even when it's painful, is Jesus on the night before he goes to the cross, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And, and he knows, he knows what he's facing. And he's in agony thinking about the emotional, physical, spiritual pain that he's going to go through the next day. There's the arrest, the trial, the torture, the crown of thorns, the beatings, being nailed to the cross. I mean, he's not just facing physical pain, he's, he's facing the emotional and spiritual pain of bearing our sin, our guilt and shame in his body on the cross. And in Gethsemane, Jesus prays the Gethsemane prayer. He says, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now in your life, you will often have a Gethsemane experience. If you're going to be like Christ, you're going to go through the things that Christ went through. And there will be times when you're in pain and in suffering, when you're hurting, when you're praying for some relief. But we need to remember that it was God's will for Jesus to go to the cross. God, God's will was not to relieve him from the pain, but to let Jesus go through the pain for the good of other people, for the glory of God. And sometimes you will suffer for the benefit of other people. Sometimes you will suffer for the glory of God. It's called redemptive suffering. And honestly, in, in Christendom today, we've lost sight of that. We just want God to swoop in and make everything fine for us. But when you have the mind of Christ, you understand it's appropriate to pray the Gethsemane prayer. You know, th there's three parts to it. The first part is just a prayer of faith where, where you say, Father, everything is possible for you. You just, you, you say, God, you have the power to change this situation. And you can pray that too, whatever situation you're in, financial problem, health problem, relational problem, whatever kind of problem you have, you start off by saying in faith, God, you can change this. You have the power to make this better. And you start out with that statement. But then Jesus said, please take this cup of suffering away from me. He, he says, I'm asking for your help. I want to be delivered from this. It's okay to say that. It's appropriate for you to say, God, you can do everything, so help! That's faith and asking. Asking in faith. But there's a third part to the Gethsemane prayer. And that's surrender. And Jesus says, Father, even though I'm asking you to take away the pain, more than anything else, more than relief, I want your will to be done. I surrender to your will, not mine. And that's what Jesus said in the greatest hour of his need. Not my will, but your will. And that takes an enormous amount of spiritual maturity. That's why God often puts us in those positions, because it takes a tremendous amount of spiritual maturity to say, God, I want to do your will, not mine. That's how you develop the mind of Christ. 
And look at the reward. Look at the results of having the mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 8, and 9. It says, Jesus humbled himself. It was his choice. He humbled himself and was fully obedient to God even when that caused his death on a cross. What happened? So God exalted him and raised him to the highest place and made his name greater than every other name. The name of Jesus is the greatest name all around the world. It'll be the greatest name forever, forever on earth, forever in heaven. Why? Because he humbled himself and he was obedient and God raised him up. And if you will humble yourself and be obedient even through the difficult season, God will raise you up. He promises to do that. Finally, tenth characteristic of having the mind of Christ is, I think, with an eternal perspective. When you get the mind of Christ, you begin to think the way Jesus does about your past, your present, your future, about your family, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, about life, death, about sin and salvation. Uh, When you get the mind of Christ, you have an eternal perspective. And you realize there's more to life than just the here and now. And this is how Jesus was able to handle the pain. This is how you'll be able to handle the pain. What's unbearable is pain without purpose, pain that is senseless. But human beings can endure a tremendous amount of pain if they can see a purpose in the pain and see a reward past the pain. That's exactly what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He looked past the pain of the cross to the reward in heaven. He had an eternal perspective. He wasn't just looking at the here and now. He looked at what that pain and suffering would accomplish for you and for me and for God's glory. If you just look at the now, here and now, you'll get discouraged and give up. But you've got to look past it to the reward in heaven. Hebrews says that Jesus was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. Now he is seated in the place of highest honor beside God's throne in heaven. And so whatever pain that you are experiencing, you've got to view it through an eternal perspective. Whatever it is, whether it's a health crisis, a financial crisis, a marriage crisis, You've got to have the mind of Christ and an eternal perspective. Now, how do I get that? How do I learn to think like Jesus? First, study his life and words in the Bible. I love the message paraphrase. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race we're in. Study how he did it. Study how Jesus ran the race of life. That way you'll have to get the mind of Christ and you'll know how to run the race too. You've got to learn to think like Jesus. So study his life and words. And then ask God to show me the meaning and application of what I read. You know, it's not, it's not enough to say, God, what does this mean? No, you've got to say, God, what do I need to do about it? What do I need to do? How do I apply it to my life? Psalm 119, 18. God, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. And if you, you study God's word and begin to apply it to your life, you'll begin to develop these 10 character qualities 
of the person who has the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I I thank you for our church family, and I pray that you will raise up an entire congregation of people who will think like Jesus. Today, the, the minds of people have been darkened by sin and sickness, sadness, sorrow, secularization. Our world is a mess right now. Lord, we need men and women who think like Christ. So God, start with us. Start, start with us. Change the way we think. I, I pray that as we look in detail at how to have the mind of Christ, that over the, the weeks this summer, that you will transform all of us into godly leaders that can make a difference in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our nation, in the world. God, for the glory, for the glory of your kingdom. If there's somebody here today who who you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, there's no way you can think like Jesus if you don't have Jesus in your life. But Christ has promised that if you open up, if you open up your heart and mind to Him, He will come into your life. He will forgive you of your sins. He'll give you a new, abundant, eternal life. And He'll transform your mind. He'll renew your mind so that you can think like Christ. God, what a hope, what a vision you've given us. We celebrate that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.